Well, I want to invite you to open your copy of God's perfect and precious word this morning to Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. We'll look down through verse 25 together this morning. I want to talk to you about glory, not corruption. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18 through verse 25, and I invite you to stand in reverence for the reading of the perfect words of our sovereign God. Romans 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray. What a glorious portion of Your Word, O God. Help us to hear it. Help us to receive it. Help it to shape the way we think. The way we look at the world and look at ourselves. Oh Lord, give us this eternal and glorious hope even in the midst of our groaning. We pray it in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Stop it with the thoughts and prayers and do something that really matters. That's been a frequent narrative lately if you're on social media at all. Christians tend to respond to crisis situations by saying, I am praying for you and I am praying for everyone involved. And yet there has risen up a counter voice that talks like prayers are useless, worthless. Why don't you really do something that matters? Obviously, the thinking goes, your prayers are not mattering. The mocking of prayer. The door was really open for that when the horrific shooting in Sutherland Springs in the church happened recently. The testimonies Mocking prayer kind of went like this. Oh yeah, praying for them? They were in church praying and got killed. Obviously, prayers are not doing anything. Now there's a sense in which that sort of antagonistic mocking should simply be ignored because it's not thoughtful. But there's also a sense in which we must rightly answer 
those questions. Does prayer work? And if God is who He says He is, if there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, if we are blessed by trusting God, why so much suffering? Why so much pain? Why do those who follow Him face the same heartaches and the same horrors in this life as others? When we come to Paul's letter, which we call Romans, we must realize it's a missionary letter to the church in Rome. He presses the truth of the gospel and explains it with, with more clarity than anywhere else in the Bible. He talks about the sovereign power of God for the salvation for all who believe. He also is clear that it is a message to, that is to be proclaimed to all people in all places. It is the only good news in the whole world. The book is in a sentence in Romans chapter 8, which is the very heart of the message. In that sentence in Romans 8, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The entire message condensed into one sentence. And then he goes on in Romans 8 to explain that. That is because the believer is in Christ and the spirit of adoption comes in and brings life and makes us sons of God. And not only that, the one who is a son of God by faith, who is having that confirmed and Jesus is being made real by the spirit of adoption, is called a fellow heir with Christ. Meaning that the believer is treated with the same love and in view of the same inheritance as the Lord Jesus Himself. He is our elder brother. God is our Father. The Spirit is the Spirit of adoption, making it all real in our lives. Amazing. Glorious. Liberating. Verse 1, no condemnation. Verse 17, the last verse we looked at, in order that we may be glorified with Him. No condemnation. Glorified with Him. The language is majestic. But you can almost hear the objection. The one that Paul anticipates. Well and good. But what about the real pain that we face? It's one thing to talk about no condemnation and glorified with Him. Where is it here and now? Where is it when the baby dies? When people are shot while they're praying? When the spouse walks away. These are real sufferings. How does that fit into all of your language about glory and no condemnation? Well, if we look at the section that we're considering today in Romans 8, 18 through 25, 
the key words in the section are this, suffering and groaning, waiting, glory and hope. It's really powerful. The Bible is so honest about our pain. No easy breezy spirituality. No, no sort of talk that doesn't meet the real issues. The, the, the text talks about real suffering. And the groaning that results from living in a world of suffering. But it says the believer is waiting. And waiting on something that can be accurately described as glorious. Fills him with hope. In fact, if you go down to the end of, you go down to verse 30 in this section, it it talks about the hope of glory. So, So the section we're considering is encased with this talk of glory. Verse 17, the section right before the one we're looking at today says this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we also may be glorified with Him. And then verse 30 ends in glory. So everything in between, all of this talk of suffering has to do with glory. The groaning has to do with glory. The hope has to do with Glory. First thing I want us to see in verse 18 is this. A comparison you should make. Look at verse 18. For I consider... The the word consider here doesn't mean just sort of random musings, but I credit, I count, I reckon. In other words, this is a calculation. not, Not something that he is thinking about in the sense of not committed to, but something that he has calculated, something that that he is counting on. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and that would be better translated age. The the contrast here is between this age and the age to come. Not not just time in the way we think of it, but different contrasting ages. This is an age of suffering. But it says, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's the different age. There's an age of suffering. There's an age of glory. And in Christ, the coming of Christ, those ages have met. And now the age of glory has invaded this age of suffering. And so as we think about the world, we are to compare, we are to make a calculation. Let me help you think about it like this. If if you were to be going to your child's wedding, and... You stood around at the wedding going, it took 12 minutes to drive over here. Good grief. I mean, 12 minutes. Think of the things I could have been doing in those 12 minutes. We'd be going, what's wrong with you? 
A 12-minute drive is a minor inconvenience. You're at your child's wedding. This is glorious. You're, you're, you're thinking in a way that is bizarre and doesn't account for what's going on here today. That's where Paul is going. The sufferings of this present age aren't worth comparing to eternal glory. If there is a scale, he talks about it in Corinthians, we read earlier, whatever we face is momentary light affliction. 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Now, now, Now think about that. Paul was beaten, mocked, ridiculed, chased out of town, borne his body the marks of being beaten for Jesus. All kinds of people turned their back on him. He was constant in danger of losing his life. That's the one telling us that he describes all of that as momentary light affliction compared to the weight of eternal glory. Now, he doesn't mean that it is not real pain. No, he means the glory is that glorious. What is glory? The word glory translated in the Bible means means weight, weightiness. And, And when we try to think about glory, it's weighty, it's important, and it's also glorious in the sense of beautiful. Beautiful weightiness, important and captivating. The eternal weight of glory. What matters most, the reason we exist, what when we catch our, cast our gaze upon it in the new heavens and new earth, we will never look back going, this wasn't worth it. Glory. Suffering, the word means pain, affliction, glory, important and beautiful. And by the way, if you name the name of Christ, you kind of already should get how the pattern works. Jesus, who is glorious, comes, takes on human flesh. And what happens to him? He suffers. Peter puts it this way. The sufferings of Christ led to subsequent glory. And then Peter in 1 Peter keeps saying, that's the pattern that you embrace. Well, the one who came and suffered on the way to glory tells us to take up our cross and follow Him. For us, those who are adopted, those who are sons of God, those who are joint heirs with Christ, the one we follow went on a path of suffering that led to glory We follow in His stead. We suffer like everybody else suffers in a world of pain and sorrow. And yet we know our our lives are rooted in glory. We share not only the glory, but we share the sufferings with our elder brother Jesus. Now, we often compare what we should not compare. And it steals our joy. We 
have lives that don't think about glory, don't think about gospel, don't think about grace, and we compare ourselves to everyone around us. Why does she have that gift and I don't? Why, why does he get the promotion and I don't? And so we don't think about the world in terms of what we have. We just think about the world in terms of we want more than the next person and it steals our joy. The Christian is supposed to be liberated from that. There's a different comparison. You see, that comparison is self-centered and man-focused. The comparison that the Christian is to make is to say, not only do I go through pain and suffering, but I deserve judgment and damnation. And I am no less deserving of judgment and damnation than anybody else. But I get glory. And so whatever I face here and now does not compare with the eternal weight of glory. That is the calculation we are to be consistently making. You see, that comparison shapes our understanding as we are living in the tension of the kingdom. That's what we see in verses 19 through 25. See, the Bible teaches us that we are not to expect a world where we don't face the same sufferings, the same pain, the same groanings as those around us. We just face them differently for a gospel purpose that gives them meaning. And meaning that will matter for all eternity. We live in this tension of the kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The end result is glory. And yet we live in this present age of suffering. And we go through the same things that other people go through. Which means if there are madmen shooters out there, sometimes they show up at churches too. Do you see that? And when there are cancer diagnoses out there, sometimes it shows up in the most faithful person you know in following Christ. That's what God told us is going to happen. There is a groaning. But the interesting thing here is the way He tells the story here as we live in the already of the Gospel of the Kingdom but the not yet of the consummation of the kingdom where suffering is gone and glory is unveiled. The interesting thing about the way he tells that story is he doesn't start with mankind. He starts with creation. He says creation itself groans. So we don't even have to look, just look at ourselves and those around us, but we look at the created order and we say, there is disorder. Something is not right. This is not the way it should be. You see, if you don't groan, it's because you're so comfortable here that you're not seeing the disorder. Groaning in the face of a world marked by sin and rebellion is an act of faith. If you say nothing's wrong here, 
then you don't see the world as God has called you to see it. Let's look at the fact creation groans in the already not yet verses 19 through 22. Look with me there. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Now, the waiting here is hopeful waiting, as we're going to see. It talks about waiting in verse 19, verse 23, and verse 25. The waiting here is with eager longing. We could translate this as a a double word here. We could translate this waiting with expecting expectation. The, the idea is edge of your seat waiting, not passive waiting, not self-resignation, but an eagerness of waiting. And what is the creation itself waiting? It, it's, it's waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? The, the creation is waiting for the ultimate revealing of the redeemed people of God, the sons of God? Yeah. Phillips in his paraphrase paraphrases this. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. This personifying creation is common in the Old Testament. You see it throughout. Paul picks it up here. But what does this mean? What what is going on? The, The revealing is the word from which we get the word apocalypse. It's talking about the end. The revealing of the adopted sons of God means that when the Son of God comes in the apocalypse and consummates His kingdom, the sons of God will be revealed. And why is it that the creation will be glad about that? We look back at the beginning of our Bibles, we see not only the gospel promise in Genesis 3.15, but we see that the fall into sin, Genesis 3.17-19, marred the entire created order. So the world is not as it should be. That's why there's coming a new heavens and a new earth. The entire created order will be redeemed because it was affected by the fall into sin. The rebellion of the Son of God, Adam, in the garden, which affected the sons of God. And God is redeeming the sons of God in the Son of God, Jesus. And when that revelation happens, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And the entire creation groans for that day. Verse 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility. It means frustration, emptiness. Meaning that the created order doesn't function the way it's supposed to be. It's not fulfilling its purpose. Subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Now hope's another word that keeps coming up. Here we see it. We see it twice again in verse 24. So we have waiting and the waiting is in hope, and it's in the midst of suffering, and it's in the midst of groaning. Now, the he who subjected it is 
God. It's the judgment on the fall that God is reversing in the good news of the gospel. So one day in a new heavens and a new earth, the created order itself will fulfill its purpose according to the design of God. Look with me at verse 21. That, or it could be translated since, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Bondage means slavery. Slavery to corruption. Slavery to ruin. The the fall affected the entire cosmos. When the sons of God are fully and finally free in the return of Christ, now even the created order will be freed to function according to the purpose of the God who created. All of this is tied to the adoption of the sons of God, the children of God. You know, as we look out at the created order and we see all of these things that are, that are not as they should be, they are reminders to us that there is something coming in the end that makes all things right. The glory that we see in the created order is blunted by the reality of sin. We see beauty but we do not see beauty as we could see beauty if there was not the curse of the fall in the world. We will not see beauty and importance of even the created order until we see it in the new heavens and a new earth. So the whole creation groans together. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The, the, the creation itself is groaning for the birth of a new creation. Now think about that imagery. Pains of childbirth. Now, if there's anything I'm an expert on, it's childbirth. Kind of. Not an expert the way Judy is an expert. I'm over on the side trying to keep from fainting. One time the doctor said, uh, come over here, look at this. We'll let you cut the cord. I said, that's what I pay you for. I'm not looking at anything until the baby's out, except for my wife's face. But there is a lot of pain associated with childbirth, especially with our first one. But you know what? There's a lot of focus on that. Oh, this is, this is difficult. But when that baby is placed in Judy's arms, I don't hear another word about that pain. Because once she sees the baby, it was all worth it. In fact, it's not even worth comparing. It says that the created order groans in the pains of childbirth until now. And when there is the new creation in Christ, the pains will be forgotten. The glory will be eternal. You see, the sufferings of this present age are not eternal. 
for those who are in Christ. He goes from creation's groaning to the groaning of the children of God. Look at the, at the Christian groans in the already, not yet. Look at verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves. In the Greek, that's emphasized. We ourselves. Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now think about that. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. What does that mean? First fruits would be a part of a whole. The first part of the harvest, which was a part of the whole, not separated. We have the indwelling of the Spirit, but we do not have the Spirit or know the Spirit outside of the presence of sin the way we will in the new heavens and a new earth. But we have the first fruits, the down payment, the earnest of the promises of God in the indwelling of the Spirit which makes Jesus real to us, so we wait with expectant expectation. We wait with that eager longing. And notice here, it says that we wait for adoption as sons, but I thought it already said that we were adopted as sons, and we have the spirit of adoption. Yes! But living in the reality of being adopted sons of God takes on a whole new meaning in the new heavens and new earth. When we're in the presence of God and not in the presence of sin. We're already redeemed in Christ, but we await redemption the way we will experience it in the new heavens and new earth. Paul says in 1 Corinthians that we will have redeemed bodies fit for the new heavens and new earth. So we are already adopted, but we are not yet experienced our, our adoption as we will one day. We are already redeemed, but we are not experiencing our redemption as we will one day. There will be a new glory to it all. Now, I want you to think with me about this. The groaning is appropriate. The hope shapes our groaning. See, this is like Paul when he's talking about death. And he says, we do not weep as those who have no hope. What does he imply? We do weep. But our tears at death are shaped by the hope of the gospel. We groan. When we see tragedies and no pain, we rightly say, this is not the way it is meant to be. But we don't stop there. We know that it is not the way it will be in the new heaven and new earth. And we not only experience the groaning, in the already we experience glimpses of glory. Which causes us to long for consummated glory all the more. Now, Roger talked about the difficult shape the church was in uh, when we first got here. And I've often had people ask me, you know, how did you bounce back? How, how did you go from dwindling down to so few to, to what God is doing there? You know why? 
Because there were a group of people who groaned but hoped. And they never lost the hope. There are a group of people who were here then who all of us new people can say those people's hope was used by God to birth what we're blessed by today. I knew Ashland was different. I'd been here a few weeks. We were talking about selling the property we had and building on new land. When I I had a senior adult make an appointment with me and they said that they were making an appointment because they wanted to talk about our plan to sell and to build. And I'm like, oh no, senior adult, don't like change. They're going to come in here and say we shouldn't do anything. And oh man, I've already got to deal with this a few weeks in. Senior adult walked in, sat at my desk. He said, I want to talk to you about selling the property and building out there. At our other property. I said, okay, what? He said, what are we waiting on? I said, money. Let's have faith. Here I am, the 35-year-old young new pastor. And uh, the one who's pulling me along is the older guy. And I thought, yeah, that's different. (laughs) That's different. I could give you countless examples like that, but I am so thankful for people who rightly groaned the pain of what they experienced, but never stopped hoping. And I'm thankful for that in all kinds of ways. You see, the mockers say, that's proof God doesn't hear your prayers. But it's not true. You know what? Those handful of people still alive from Sutherland Baptist, from First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, you know what they're doing today? I guarantee you they are praying. What does that say? We have hope beyond this. Bullets cannot stop this. You know how powerful that is? It's the reason why nobody's ever stamped out Christianity anywhere in the world through a barrel of a gun. In fact, when it's been tried, the church has often exploded. There is hope beyond all of this. Yes, we groan. But we groan in hope. Look at verse 24 and 25. Verse 24 says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? This is the tension we live in. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You see, our life in this fallen world is incomplete. Our salvation is real, but it is not yet final. In this hope, we were saved. God saved us to live in this tension until He consummates His kingdom. And as we hope, Through our groanings, it is a powerful witness to the gospel. So we wait, not with passive resignation, we wait on the edges of our seat knowing that Jesus Christ is returning to consummate His kingdom and hope will ring for all eternity. The creation and us groan. And both of us await What will have the last word? The last word will not be suffering. The last word will not be pain. Jesus Christ will have the last word. 
Jesus Christ will usher all of the adopted sons of God into his kingdom and it will be a place where there is no more pain and there is no more suffering. And for all eternity, the hope of the gospel will be the air we breathe. You see, we groan. And we have a sense of frustration as we see the corruption around us and we we experience and see the pain of suffering. But in Christ, frustration will be transformed into fulfillment. Corruption will be transformed into glory. And suffering will be transformed into joy. That's the truth for all of the adopted and redeemed sons of God when it is consummated. The metaphor of childbirth comes to the point where we say, yes, this is what it's all about. Therefore, all that we face now is infused with meaning and purpose and the Spirit indwells us, the person of the Spirit, pointing us to Jesus, reminding us of that, reminding us of our adoption, reminding us of our redemption because we know, as Tolkien once said, all sad things are coming untrue. And we live fighting for the glimpses of glory while we groan. And by the way, I don't, I don't like cold weather. No, I'm, that's deceptive. I hate cold weather. But as I drive around and I see the leaves change colors, it's a theological prompt for me. Things will not remain the same. There are glimpses in the created order that things will change. And one day, the beauty of the change will be eternal and have no end. And we will have a never-ending capacity to see the beauty and glory, the weight of what God has done. Till then, Yeah, we groan, but we hope. Let's pray.